Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here. I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by Gear Up Sports, one of the leaders in youth apparel sports, but they also support company attire with a distributed workforce and gear to stay connected. They actually have the gear that we have on right now, a 40 strategy. All of our guests, get to, we get to order these for each one of us. So Mike Michalowicz, who is our guest today, will get one of these shirts. Um, and so you go to gearupwithus.com to learn more. We always like to do a shout out. And that shout out is to Michelle Williams from Scarlet Thread Consulting for the introduction to our guest today, Mike Michalowicz. She is also a profit-first professional, a previous guest on the Measure Success podcast. We also happen to be in the same group uh, with Jessica Yarbrough, who we're going to be meeting in San Diego here soon. So looking forward to that, Michelle and Jessica. Um, Mike is the entrepreneur by three multi-million dollar companies, the author of eight books, including Fix This Next, Profit First, Clockwork, The Pumpkin Plan, and newest book, Get Different. Mike is a former small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal and regularly travels the globe as an advocate to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. All right, we got it all, Mike. Welcome you to know, the Podcast. Know, Carl. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you bet. So explain to me, I love this mission that you have, entrepreneur, yeah. eradicating entrepreneurial poverty. What does this mean? Yeah, actually, I'll show you something cool. If I move my camera here, but there it is on my wall. If you're watching the video, I... I have it, and this is my office at work, but I also have my home office and other places. What it is, is there's this gap between the vision we have for ourselves. Like when I start my business, I want to be wealthy. I, I want to have personal freedom. And then the reality, which is I have no personal freedom. I'm working like in insane hours and I have no money. This gap is what I call entrepreneurial poverty. And it's a little bit perverted because we have to show success. Like when a new prospect says, how are things going? If you say, oh, I'm struggling, I'm dying. They're not going to want to do business with you. So we feign success. We're like, oh, it's good. And you know, things are all right. And, and we keep perpetuating this, but inside is eating us away because we're, we're crushed. I lived that for, for way too long. And I've discovered that that's actually the common journey for many entrepreneurs. I committed to myself when I became an author now about 15 years ago to fix that for me and fix it for anyone I can touch. So that's my mission to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. Why do you think it's so common? Why, why do you think us as entrepreneurs are okay with making less you'd make at a fast food restaurant? Because I think we're, we think we're always one day away, one big transaction, one big deal. So it's this perpetual hope, but for many of us, it never becomes a reality. So when we first start out, of course, it's going to have to be a fight. We have to grind it out. And then the, the months and then years start rolling by. We're like, oh, we're not there yet. But we hear that these other entrepreneurs have made it. We, we see it in the magazines. And so it's that one big transaction or maybe an investor will swoop in. But, but those are shots in the dark. 
I think the problem is we don't systemically move our business forward. We don't figure out here's the thing I need to fix today and sustain that. Here's the next little thing I need to fix. It's like assembling blocks, but most of us don't see it that way. And then sadly, at a certain point, it becomes like, I guess this is the normal. I will never make it. And that's when we cave in and say, I'm just going to keep grinding it out. I'm going to loathe my life. I'm going to be beholden to this business. I'm going to sacrifice family. But I guess this is my journey. And I think the reality is most of us are just a few smart moves away from having systemic or sustained success. And uh, that's the shame. We're, we're this close, but we think this is going to be this one big home run hit. No, no, it's getting on base over and over again by making a few simple changes. One of the things you talk about, I think it's in Profit First, where you talk about when somebody says, well, I'm investing my profits into the next thing. And, and you point out, look, if you're investing again, you haven't made any money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It drives right? me mad. I wish I didn't have thinning hair because I would just start pulling it out. But my hair is thinning too much now, so I don't even touch it. But the reality is the only way to be profitable is to habitually take profit from your business. And when I say habitually, I mean, every transaction, a small percentage of that money must contribute to your profit. But what I hear most people say is, well, there was a little money left over and I put it back in the business to facilitate more growth. Well, here's the reality. That little money left over is really an accounting term. You saw the word profit, but the second you spend it, it's never profit. So let's not stroke our ego and say we had a profit, but we chose to invest it. No, no, no. You chose to have expenses. You chose to have more expenses. What's fascinating, ever since I wrote Profit First, now there's literally hundreds of thousands of businesses that have implemented it. What I found is the businesses that take their profit first, they bake into every transaction, but they're ensuring they're getting it, have less money to operate their business. Therefore, they become more strategic in how to use that money. Mm -hmm. They don't say, you know, everyone else is running Facebook ads. I'll run Facebook ads. No. Instead, they say, what is the thing that I will have the greatest impact for the lowest investment? And they start uh, picking things that way. And I see these businesses consistently beat their contemporaries in growth. It's almost a mind warp. But the more you focus on profit, typically, almost always, you grow faster as a result. Yeah, I think this is, you know, I have an accounting background. You have a finance background, I think, Virginia yeah. Tech, right? The Hokies. Yeah, um, go Hokies, so. nice. <laughs> so for me, I, how do I, I was trained in this, right? That it's the right thing to do. But I found this true as well. I found that these exact, that's why it resonated so much with me, this concept of the profit first, because so many people say, well, I've, I've got this and I've got money, but then suddenly you look at their bank accounts, like they've got a bunch of credit cards lined up. Yeah. They're borrowing money. They maybe perhaps even have investors. That's debt that they forget. That's not actually an investment. That's a debt. That's the money wow. they have to pay back to somebody else in the future. Yeah. And, 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 and there's something insidious about it. We're often using the credit cards to pay ourselves. We don't see it that way. We're like, well, I had to buy some equipment, but really it's a cash flow game. So let's say, just for real easy numbers sake, $1,000 comes in today. So there's your deposit. And I need to take home $500 today to cover the groceries for this week and some other expenses. So you know, it's kind of hand to mouth here. So 1000 comes in, but I also need to buy equipment and pay salaries. And I have you know, salaries, we'll say, about 500 for my employees or employee, and I have to buy equipment for 500. So I have to pay 1500 out. So what I do, I say, well, I can buy that equipment with my credit card. So I pay 500 there, and now there's only $1,000 left I pull that cash from. And so that 500 goes to me, 500 goes to the employee, and said, okay, I just got by. But now we have $500 of debt. But what really happened was 
when you pay that credit card, you put it toward an item, but it just freed up that cash flow that was going to go to you. If you couldn't, if you didn't use that credit card, you wouldn't have paid yourself. Been 500 to the employee, 500 to the equipment. That's $1,000 of cash now gone, and you would have not taken it. So by using that credit card, you're actually using a credit card to pay your salary. Oh my God, that is sickeningly dangerous. That The 24% interest rate or whatever to pay your salary in the short term, you're going to feel a little bit of relief. In the long term, it is so cancerous. It's going to kill you and your business figuratively. So what we need to do is the moment feel compelled to use any debt is ask yourself, what's wrong with my business? Why can't I do it out of cash flow? Usually it's a pricing issue. Our prices aren't high enough or appropriate. Sometimes it's an efficiency issue. We're reworking all the time. We're not really masterful at what we do. Other times it's extraneous costs. And in most cases, it's all of those things combined. Cut costs, increase margin, run more efficiently, and you will likely be sustainably profitable, not use those credit cards. This is awesome advice. And what is interesting is that sickening part where we think things are okay. Right. No. Like what you mentioned, so it's like, oh, it's okay. It's okay if we just do this. And it's not, right? It's not the right thing. What book? This is kind of like saying, which is your favorite kid, which is probably the thing, unfair thing to say. But it's Jake. Uh, my three kids is Jake for right now. <laughs> and then it'll be a day, and then it'll be tired. It bounces around. <laughs> what what book is your what book is your favorite from from a writing experience part? It, it's a tie. So if I had to pick one, I'd say the pumpkin plan. That was the first time I really expressed myself in a book in my natural way. And it just felt good. It was a mainstream book published by Penguin. Get Different, which is my most recent book, I think is my actually my best writing. I think I've gotten to a level of writing now that, that I can succinctly share strategies and complement it with an anecdotal story. So we can kind of drive home as an example. And I really feel I mastered it in that one. Neither of those are my best selling books, but those are the two that, two that I like the most. I appreciate you saying that. And I could actually, it's interesting. It's funny you say, I could, I could feel that in a way that it was the the get different was like this concept of you understanding of targeting a niche. Right. And and if you don't win that niche, you could win a niche, right? You could create your own blue ocean if you do it. Otherwise you're competing with everybody. Correct. Correct. And I, again, I gotta be careful about trying to pull hair out here, but I'm like, oh my gosh, if, if only I can somehow convince people to commit to a community and stand out distinctly to them. I think logically, so many small business owners get it, but when we're in the trenches, when we're in this day-to-day survival, we feel just shoot at everything. Let's just, whatever, just any kind of business I can get is good business. And that's absolutely not true. Again, it's kind of living in the moment and maybe you get a couple small temporary wins. You got a new client here or a new client there, but it's definitely not sustainable. And it definitely holds you down from your growth. It's very difficult to convince people of the long-term success strategy versus the immediate survival strategy. And that's why I try to do these books. I get really, and we were talking about offline, the audible, I get really animated about supporting business. I want small business success in the worst way. Yeah. Those who know me well, I'm a huge audible fan. And I was telling Mike beforehand, he is truly one of the best audible authors. He is very, I mean, really you, you work at it. It is it's for you as a craft is it's almost important as, as the writing itself and yes. you really get your passion behind it. I, I think all of your books I've listened through Audible and I've also read several of them. And I personally like to hear your passion behind Thank this. You. Thank you, bro. Because that's what comes out across. And then you also add in the snippets, you know, of kind of like modern, what did you learn since writing the book? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you're always learning. There's always more to add in. And I, I do like sharing that because it's kind of like a voyeuristic vantage point. It's like, oh, what else is going on? I, I didn't know this, this existed. When I go to the studio, 
and it used to rotate around, but my last three books were the same studio, same producer, his name's Scott. The first time I did a performance, and I consider these performances, he's like, well, my God, no one does this. Standing up, I have the microphone here, I'm holding it like it's like it's a hot cup of tea. And I'm like, come on, and I'm getting all jacked up. And by the, the second, now the third one, they are ready for me. They got this place where I'm doing jumping jacks during the breaks and stuff. And they're like, dude, no author does this. I do it because I feel that this is a unique opportunity to emote more than just you know, read, to get across the excitement I have for this small business owner. I also know it is a really unique opportunity that I have to speak with someone for six or seven hours lecture, honestly. I mean, it's a one-way communication, but I'm in their ear for six, seven, maybe eight hours. None of us in life get this. This is such a unique position. So I have to, and I do cherish that. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Once again, I love what, what you do there. Of your books, what, what do you think has had the biggest impact? Uh, Profit First on the world. The book has now uh, surpassed a million books sold, which is a, you know one measurement. But I think the greater thing is we know of over 600,000 businesses that have implemented Profit First. And that's, wow. yeah, that's the big thing. Why that book is hand down and had the most impact is I think business owners go into business for one of two reasons, or probably both for financial freedom, not worry about bills, personal freedom, not worry about their time to be able to do what they want when they want. And Profit First addresses financial freedom. It also, the way I created it, I love behavioral psychology. Every book I'm, I write is rooted in behavioral psychology. And what I did well in Profit First was get the smallest action you can take that'll have the biggest impact on bringing permanent profitability. So people will see results they won't get rich overnight, but literally the next day they'll say, oh my gosh, I have my first profit ever. And they'll start convincing themselves. Yeah, Clockwork's the runner up to that book in that it was about uh, time freedom. And I'm re-releasing that book now to make it even more applicable, easier and faster. Oh, cool. Cool. I look forward to that. So how do you measure success as an entrepreneur? To me, it is financial freedom and personal freedom. I, I think- Business is a vehicle to support other elements of our life. It shouldn't be the entirety of our life. I think that's what it used to be for me, and I didn't get it. I, I had the freedom to do things I, I never could have done before just because it's on the whim. I say, you know what? I'm up for this. And uh, that accessibility that, that financial wealth brings about is extraordinary. But the other thing is it needs to be complemented by personal freedom. <laughs> like just to say, I want to pick up and go and see Eagles, you know, the Eagles in concert or something. That's great, but if, if you're beholden to your business, you can't do it. I've really structured my business well, and I consider this the most successful part that I can pick up and go. My youngest son, Jake, that's why I was on top of my mind, he and I are going to hike the Appalachian Trail in about a month and a couple of weeks. Not the whole trail. We're going to go for a 10-day hike, but uh, I spoke to my son one day. He said, you know what? let's do something like this together. And I'm like, I'm in, and I booked it. I have no worries about my business's sustainability. In fact, I strongly suspect it'll grow in my absence because of the team we have. So that's success to me, personal freedom, financial freedom. Yeah. So how about as an author, how do you measure success? Uh, it's impact. There's a couple of measurement levels I have. One is I get emails from readers every hour, multiple an hour. It is the ultimate blessing on this planet. I love the affirmation of I've read your book. It served me in its capacity. I love the critical feedback too. I'm reading your book. I don't get this. This is really difficult because then I can improve myself. So for me, just that constant drip. But there's another measurement and it's just when, uh, when I meet someone 
in the wild, so to speak, maybe I'm a speaking engagement or this happened relatively recently. I was at a coffee shop in Montana and this person comes up and goes, are you Mike McCallowitz? And I'm like, uh, if I owe something now, if it's otherwise, yes. And uh, this person said, I can't believe I'm running into you here. I'm on a vacation right now because I read your book clockwork and afforded me this and my business is going well and efficient. Wow. The, those, when it happens in the wild, and it, it's rare, but when it does, when I run into someone, my God, it's my heart just starts racing. I get excited. I just, it's such a joyous feeling. So on the personal side, you, you talk about in, in a couple of your books about the story of you, where you hit rock bottom after oh, having yeah. success, right? So explain to our audience what happened there. Yeah. So what happened was my quick stories. I, I started as an entrepreneur right out of college. I built and sold two companies. I never ran them efficiently or effectively. I was just, it was hustle and grind, but I had the unique, and it really is a unique experience to sell both those businesses. One was a private equity transaction. Another one was a uh, Fortune 500 acquired my company. And I thought I was hot shit. I'm like, oh my God, I touch things. They turn to gold. My ego was, was just frothing all the time. And um, I was a dick. I, admittedly, I was a dick. Hopefully not to other people, but internally, I thought I was better than anyone else, which is the definition of a dick. Well, I, I blew my money. I, so I made money. So I started blowing money uh, like left and right. Like we have to have nicer cars, bigger houses. We got a place out in Hawaii to sabbatical at all this stuff. And then I said, um, I, I have to start more businesses to sustain this new standard of living. I started as an angel investor. I was horrible at it. Uh, I started 10 companies. They all collapsed. I evaporated everything. And I fell into the exact trap that I now realize is, is the most common trap. When something isn't working, I was actually doubling down on what wasn't working. I was like, I, I invest more. Uh, someone will save this. And then finally, I wiped out everything. My accountant called and said, you got to declare bankruptcy or liquidate your one remaining asset. It was house and cars. That's what I did. And uh, we have started new. My daughter at the time, she was nine years old. I came to my family and told them at dinner what was happening. I was sobbing because I was so ashamed and they didn't know what was going on. I kept on saying, you know, things are fine. And they, my wife knew if things weren't fine, but I was like, things are fine. But now we're going to lose our house. We lost it 30 days later. My daughter, she heard this. She ran to her bedroom, grabbed her piggy bank, came back to me and puts it on the table. I'll never forget this moment. She says, daddy, since you can't provide for our family, I'll be the provider. And uh, I get emotional now. I'm so, I'm so ashamed of that moment. In hindsight, I'm so grateful for that moment. It was the cardiac arrest to my dickness that I needed. It just woke me up that I was clueless about entrepreneurship. I knew some things, but timing and good fortune played my favor and I credited it just to me. So I endeavored from that point forward to reinvestigate what makes entrepreneurship entrepreneurship successful. Just one little asterisk to the story. It wasn't like that next morning I woke up and said, I got this. I started to booze real hard. I was insomnia. I went through depression for two years, like, like serious wow. depression. Wow. I got a therapist later than I should have. I should have done that from day one, but it was the biggest blessing in my life. I woke up and realized I'm not better than anyone else. I'm the same, but I can find stories that's, and, and solutions that serve me in my entrepreneurial endeavors and I can serve others. That's, that's what I'm trying to do today. Well, and, and so then I'll ask the final question. How do you measure success then on a personal level? Yeah, to me, it's of service. I think the, the more I am of service, the more successful I am. And I also want to put a little asterisk here. I think there's two ways to be a service. There's what's called breadth 
And there's also what's called depth. And I am doing it through breadth. I am trying to impact as many entrepreneurs as I can. But I also realize it's a surface level. You know, knowing the system of Profit First or the pumpkin plan is a starting point. But for many of us, and for me, particularly, I like to work with a coach or someone that can dig in deeply with me to hold me accountable, give me nuanced guidance. And in my books, we'll never be able to do that. But there's other people that do that. So I think we have a choice. How can we serve others, serve them broadly? Or do you want to serve um, people deeply? Maybe you serve a few people, maybe you just serve one other person in your life. But if you touch or serve them deeply to the best of your ability, that is success in my definition. Mike, this has been a very special podcast. It's ironic. We always want to ask an author a book that you recommend, but what is a book that you recommend that's not one of yours to our audience? Yeah. So right now I'm really into studying the brain beyond behavioral psychology, but I'm looking into kind of algorithmic considerations. So there's a book called Algorithms for Life. I got to tell you, don't love the book. I think it isn't applicable, but in, in many aspects, but it does have me thinking, wow, our brain really is the ultimate supercomputer and it is running on scripts or programs. And we do have the ability to tweak it and modify it. There can be little bugs in there and blips we hit, things that trigger us to get angry or upset or frustrated that if we just change the algorithm, maybe we can efficiently address, address those challenges without pushing in a service. So algorithms for life. I think the book is honestly meh in regards to its applicability, but it's a five-star in, in the way it starts making you look at your own mind. Mike, where can people, great suggestion, by the way, and, and I'll, we'll make sure our audience hears about this. Where can people learn and find out more about you? Sure. Uh, you can go to my website. Uh, I'll give you the shortcut because no one can spell my name, Mike Michalowicz. It's uh, Mike Motorbike. And uh, the reason I have Mike Motorbike as a website is because that was my nickname from grade school because it rhymed. I've never driven a motorcycle and it's the only G-rated name I had. I can't tell you the, the other <laughs> names, but I got the domain. So if you go to mikemotorbike.com, all my books are there with free chapter downloads. So you can explore them and maybe make a purchase or not, but I call them the impact chapters. So every book that you read or download from there, you'll get results from them. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal. Those articles are there. I have a podcast or I did podcasts. I retired that now, but all the uh, archives of the podcast is there too. Mike, thank you so much for being a guest on the Measure Success Podcast. This has been a joy. Thank you for having me, Carl. Absolutely. And to everyone else who's listening, I hope you've enjoyed uh, our special guest today. Thank you for listening and wishing you the very best at measuring success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.